All right, I'm going to sing a special song for you this morning, but not right now. I'm just going to wait, see if I can get my nerve up a little bit, sing it. I'm, I want to remember one with you in just a moment, a very special one, a sweet mother in Israel. You know the, the phrase, a mother in Israel? We're, we're all familiar with. These would be the mothers, the ladies, who have influenced the Lord's people in a very positive, tremendous way, a tremendous influence on us guided us in the right paths. So there was a mother in Israel, I asked her a number of years ago, how do you live the Christian life? How do you, I mean, I I had so many starts and stops and so many during the times of special emphasis and camp meetings and so on, that was, we we would decide to make uh, changes in our lives and get on the right path and be happy about it and and then fall again, and, and, and I said to her, how do you live the Christian life? And she referred me to a hymn. And this is what I'm going to come to, to you in just a few moments, and maybe we'll go through the words of that hymn with you, share a little bit. I want to know this morning uh, how you're all doing. How are you doing? How is your spiritual life? Are you, are you growing? Are you happy in the Lord? Are you happy in the Lord? Do you have the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And there's a correlation between strength and joy, right? So if the joy of the Lord is our strength, then if we find ourselves without strength in spiritual matters, then it also follows that we're probably without joy. Because if we have joy of the Lord, we will have the strength. It doesn't mean the strength to lift large objects. It means the strength to walk in the right paths and enjoy that walk. But this morning, I I want to just take you on a little, just to begin, just for a few moments, take you on a little journey back to 1969. You all remember 1969? Kyle, 69, fresh in your memory? We heard someone say this morning on television that they were old enough to remember Ronald Reagan. Now, can you imagine? Yeah, they said, I'm old enough to remember Ronald Reagan. Now, obviously, the reason for saying that would be that he had encountered a lot of people who weren't old enough to remember Ronald Reagan. But, see, I said to Pat, you know what that means, don't you? And she said, yeah, I think I do. (laughs) So, uh, in 1969, the day was May the 18th, May the 18th, 1969. And there was a mission called Apollo 10 that launched on that date, Apollo 10. So it launched on the 10th, I believe it returned on the 28th of that month, and it went to the moon and it um, circumnavigated the moon, went into the orbit for, I think, four orbits of the, Earth, of the moon, and then returned. And this was a trial mission for Apollo 11, which would see the lunar landing, the first landing on the moon. And we remember that vividly. Here's a little video of Apollo 10. And uh, you'll see it leave the animation of Apollo 10, but reasonably realistic. And you'll observe it as it leaves. Just in a moment, we'll start it, Pat. And you see a picture of the Earth. This is what I want to look at with you this morning, is this um, amazing thing. Can you imagine being on board a vehicle that would leave the Earth? They left Florida, of course, launched at Florida. And to leave the Earth and to observe the earth in an entirely different way, and to see it as this wonderful 
orb in the, in the surrounded by the vastness of space. And you see stars and so on in the background. And we are hanging here. I mean, we, we are here on this absolutely perfect uh, journey around the, around the sun. And we have these other neighbors that are lifeless. No life. And to view this one in comparison with the others, this is absolutely a marvelous view. So let's, lock, let's watch this a little. It goes to the moon, just real quick like, and uh, then comes back again. We'll see this just for a few moments. I didn't put music to it yet, but I mean, I, I could, but I didn't. Can you imagine being on board that? Apollo 10 on its journey to the moon. You notice the vastness of the water? What is it? Something like 70-some percent of the earth covered by water? And when you look at it like this, you see mostly water. I think this is India now coming into view as it turns. Now very soon you're going to see, there you go, as this place we call home shrinks in the rearview mirror. Can you imagine being on such a journey? Can you imagine that the occupants of that orb would be um, in a state of war and agitation with each other? Living together on such a beautiful, beautiful place. Don't the things of the earth grow strangely dim? Even this, even looking at it in this way. So we'll be here for about three days, okay? Until we <laughs> it's going to take us about three days to make this journey. Ever growing smaller and smaller and smaller. You know what that means? That means the other side, there's another object in the sky that's growing larger and larger and larger. Okay, so here comes the moon. Notice how drab it is in comparison. How lifeless, how drab. Now the lunar module in, in Apollo 10, the lunar module would detach and it would go down to about, I think it was something like 8 miles or something like that from the actual surface of the moon and then return. And that was a trial run for what would happen two months later. So now just like that we're going to leave, leave the moon. Look at all the constellations stretched out in the background. And we're going to put the pedal to the metal here in just a moment. Okay, we're going to speed this thing up here in just a moment. It was John, uh, Tom Stafford, John Young, and Gene Cernan uh, piloted this, this vehicle, Apollo 10. I think the, the name Gene Cernan, he's the, most, uh, the one that we know better. But you know, the vast majority of these men are now gone. The majority of these men are now gone. This is an amazing thing. Now we're approaching planet Earth. It's a little dark now. Not the brightness of day was it as it left. But there it is, home sweet home, folks. Can you see St. Joseph Island? <laughs> Are we there yet? Entering into the Earth's orbit, being protected by the shield. And here we're going to splash down. Well, that's the way they used to do it. They used to splash down in the ocean and be retrieved. So we watched all those live and as it happened. And we're old enough to remember it. Can you imagine how old we are <laughs> to actually remember all that? Fantastic. So, so it's just, you know, a perspective. Perspective. Change perspective. That's what I like to do sometimes and observe some of these things is because uh, it gives me a change of perspective.
Uh, I remember a few years ago when we were fortunate enough to travel to Israel and spend a few days there. And I remember being in a hotel in Jerusalem, and one of the things I thought as I looked in a certain direction and imagined a certain distance there would be St. Joseph Island. And somehow the things that were occurring at that time on St. Joseph Island, home to me, seemed to be clearer in some way, in some sense in my mind, than they were while I was here. And I said, that's a very interesting thing, being removed from it by distance, and yet somehow I'm able to see it in a more, in a clearer way than I can see it when I'm there. And I think sometimes when we take ourselves a little bit away and see things the way they really are, we just, this, this planet, we just had a look at it. That's the reality of it. This is not really the center. This is a marvelous, a marvelous, marvelous planet. But this is not all there is. And we haven't seen even uh, a small glimpse of all that there is. And so I want to come back with you this morning and ask you again, how are you doing in your spiritual life. The most important of all is our spiritual lives. Are we walking with Jesus in a very close relationship? And do we have the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a key, one key, to experiencing the joy of the Lord and His presence. And we want to focus on this in just a moment and then come to this hymn that I will introduce I mentioned last Lord's Day morning that I have been reading some from the book of Nehemiah. And I want to mention a couple of things from Nehemiah with you this morning. Perhaps you'd like to join me in Nehemiah chapter 8. I just want to read a few verses together with you. Nehemiah chapter 8. Now this is an amazing time. Absolutely amazing. The people, children of Israel, the people of Israel had been Many of them, the majority of them, had been forced into exile. A few remained in, Jude, in Judah, Judea. The city of Jerusalem had been destroyed as walls torn down. Gates had been burned with fire. The place, Jerusalem, was in an absolute shamble, the most, one of the most beautiful cities in, on earth. And this had all been, uh, had, had been occasioned by their transgression and refusal to walk in obedience to God's law and God's word. And so they have gone through all these years of exile, and now it's coming to a period of time where Nehemiah is granted grace, the grace that the Lord gives him, and the king of Persia allows him to return and to rebuild the walls and reestablish the gates of the city of Jerusalem. And so he goes back, and as the, this happens, there are numbers of other exiles who are returning uh, subsequently and just around that period of time and soon after. There will be many other exiles who will return. Now they want to reestablish life as it is intended to be. Remember, these people had not heard the word of God, many of them, because they had been dispersed for so many years. And many of them had not heard the word of God actually read. And so now we come to a period of time where the walls have been rebuilt and the gates set And now they are returning, and now they bring out the priests from the temple. They bring out the word of God. They bring out the law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. And you know, this is—I find this amazing. As you read the kind of the synopsis of the events of the books of Moses, contained in the books of Moses, as recorded by Nehemiah, 
It's exactly the way it is now as you read the first five books. No difference. It's the very same, exactly the same. And so I want to say that, to say that this word has been kept in the most pristine way, with great care. Now, they're going to gather all the people around. One of the priests is going to come up and stand in a very prominent place. He's going to bring out the scrolls containing the Law of Moses in chapter 8. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the Law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it. Now, just imagine, this is marvelous. They, many of them are hearing for the first time. Some of them are having their hearing refreshed from God's law. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from the morning until midday. Before the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And so Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood a number of, and he goes through a very large number, a reasonably large number of other men. I'll not name them all. And, and if you understand why I'll not name them all, have you ever tried to pronounce all these names? So it says in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Notice the reverence now for the word of God. But they had not, their fathers, they had not reverenced the word of God. Had they reverenced the word of God, they never would have been sent away into exile. And so they did not reverence the word of God, and so they brought upon themselves judgment from God. But now they have returned. Now they have a different heart, different mind. Now they're reverencing the word, and they all stand as he begins to read. Let me read a few more verses. It says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Do you notice um, the, the, the demonstration, to, be, to demonstrate or to manifest is a very important part of worship. But, but, the demonstration must be genuine from the heart. It must be a genuine manifest, manifestation from the way in which the Spirit is profoundly influenced by the reality of the things of God. But when the Spirit and the mind is profoundly influenced by the reality of the Word of God, then you cannot keep yourself from being demonstrative, from demonstrating. There's a certain... And sometimes, and that'll be different with the individual. But so they're responding. This is my point. They are responding. And they said, Amen. You know what we, we know what Amen means. They're agreeing with this. And while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And he goes through all these different different names now that were standing on the on this large platform with Ezra, the scribe, the priest, and all these men. They began to uh, basically speak about the what had been read to teach the people. Listen to what it says. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense. All these different men became teachers, 
and they gave the sense and helped the people to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep because... Well, let me just read. They said, Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept. All the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, why did they weep? Why did they weep when they heard this? The word of God, the words of the law, the words that God had given to Moses. They wept because they realized that the violation of this law had brought upon themselves this horrible period of time that they had all experienced. And it was a horrible period of time, of great judgment. And when they heard it, it's so beautiful and so lovely and so pure. And they wept, which is an indication of their hearts responding to the word with repentance. Eh? Repentance. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Now, you say, well, now everything is going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine now. All will be fine now. We've, they've all been brought to repentance, so it'll all be great now. Well, let's just go on. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our, to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. There it is. Don't remain in this time of weeping and sorrow. Don't remain here. It's good to come here. But don't remain in this period of sorrow because go your way, rejoice, have a time of rejoicing, eat, drink, give to those who do not have, share what you have with others, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites quieted all the people saying, be still, because they were weeping. And they weren't weeping quietly, they were weeping out loud. And so the Levites quieted them down, hushed them down and said, and said, be quiet, be still. The day is holy, do not be grieved. Do not be grieved because this is a holy day. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. But here was what was, this is what is happening. The word is being presented and taught to them from those who were gifted at reading and teaching. And they heard the word coming from the outside to them, and they heard it, and they responded to it. But I want to travel with you a few chapters in Nehemiah to the last chapter, chapter 13, these very same people. We kind of began this morning with a simple question, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we enjoying our walk with Christ? Are we walking in victory? Do we have the joy of the Lord, which is our strength? Are we growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord? Not what did we have yesterday or last year or what do we have now? How are we doing now? So I I have moved ahead to Nehemiah chapter 13 and Nehemiah writes that there came a time when events were occurring in Jerusalem and he returned back to Persia and went back to visit the king of Persia again, Nehemiah himself. 
So he, he, he went to Tel Aviv, to the airport in Tel Aviv, and he got on a big jet. And in just no time at all, had a little snooze, and woke up, and he's back in Persia. didn't work that way. It's a long journey back then. But he returned to Persia to visit the king. Let me read it. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. And then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered. And now when he returns to Jerusalem, he discovers that things are not well. Everything is not in good condition. Violations are occurring. Men are doing things that they ought not to do. They are violating the word of God. These are some of the same individuals who were weeping before. And hands in the air, shouting amen. He said, he said, I was grieved, grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Now, some might think that this is very aggressive on the part of Nehemiah. But we have to look at this in the context. Look at the great devastation that this kind of disobedience to God's law had occasioned on the Jewish people. Look at the evil that it had brought upon them. Look at all the deaths that had resulted. Look at the devastation. Look at all those who had been carried away into captivity to Babylon and were slaves in Persia now. Look at the city of Jerusalem that had been completely decimated and destroyed. And now some of these same people who've come back and have come through a period of some level of repentance, but they come to a period where they're beginning to repeat the same things that led to the judgment of their fathers. Can you blame Nehemiah for being grieved? He's the governor of it. He's the governor of Judea and of Jerusalem. And he enumerates now in this 13th chapter, he enumerates how several of these transgressions occurred. He talks about the violation of the Sabbath, for example, in verse 15. In those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into, into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. You see, they, God's word said to keep the Sabbath day as a day of rest, keep it holy. There always comes in a, in a spiritual journey, there always comes the period of time where will we obey the leading of the Lord? And the word of the Lord, or will we uh, go by our own preferences? Will we listen to ourselves? Will we do the thing that seems convenient to us? Or will we do that which the Lord has commanded us to do? And invariably, throughout the Bible, as we read it from beginning to end, we find that as people obeyed the Lord, then of course there was His wonderful presence and visitation with them as they obeyed Him, and they had the strength to live before him in victory. And as they disobeyed him, they became lean in their souls, weak, and they fell into transgression, which resulted in bringing upon themselves the judgment of God. It happens over and over and over and over and over again. And Nehemiah is there, and he's saying within himself, it must not, the past must not be repeated again now, he says. And I want to read a few verses here because I'll tell you, he, he, he took things into his hands. 
He said that I contended with the nobles of Judah, contended with them. And in other words, I, I brought them face to face with how they were being disobedient. He said, I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do, which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. You're doing the very thing that brought the great judgment upon us before. You're doing those things now. And so he discusses the remedies that he would put in place. But then I want to bring you down to verse 23 and read a few verses. And in those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and this was forbidden. You see, it was to be separate, separate yourselves from the unclean things. And he said, And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people, So he said, now listen to this, so I contended with them and cursed them. And what this means by cursed them is pronounced the cursing, a curse that follows the disobedience of God's word. You know, God said blessings will follow you if you obey and curses will follow if you disobey. So it's not cursing in the sense of the way we would use it today. But it's pronouncing the curse of disobedience or the consequence of disobedience of God's law on them. Then he says, And I struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And one of the sons of Jodah, king of Eliashib, and the high priest was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Hornite, And therefore I drove him from me. And then he comes to a conclusion. But I read this with you this morning because it's very clear to me that the pages of Scripture are complete, replete with all this kind of event. Whereas there is this uh, repentance, in some cases almost national repentance. And then there's a period of time where people fall back again to their own ways. And I realize that the Word, and this is the presentation of the New Covenant, is that the Word of God now is not intended only to come to us from the outside. That the key to living successfully the Christian life is not just to listen to the Word of God being read by others, and listening to sermons by others, and being uh, encouraged by what we hear coming from others, but it is to have that word within us, to have that word abiding on the inside of us, to have a visitation of the word of God on the inside. But here's the thing, and I want to come and focus on with you. 
the key to the success is obeying it. Obeying it. There always will be, as we journey, there always will be very special times. I say continually. Instructions that will come to us on what we should do. And we'll know it on the inside. We'll know it. The Word of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the, the Spirit makes the Word come alive and say, this is what you should do. This is what you must stop doing. And to do that is absolutely key to receiving the sustenance and the favor of the Lord is to by obeying it, obeying it, obeying it. This brings me back to the mother in Israel who said many years ago in response to my question, and I asked Pat in a moment to put this up, how can you continually, how can you continue to live the Christian life? What is the, what is the key to your success? I was 13 years old. How, how, do you, how do you consistently live the Christian life? And she said to me, she said, it's, uh, it's like the words of the song. The song, she, the hymn she gave me was Trust and Obey. Trust and Obey. And so I'm going to ask Pat if she'll put those words up for us. Because we can have many sermons, all, you know, teachings, Bible studies. This key to the success, our success in the Christian pathway, is trusting the Lord and obeying Him. And there is no other way. <laughs> and this hymn perfectly tells us about it. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. See, they did not continue to do that back here. We just read from Nehemiah. They did not continue to do this. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. Oh, what a glory He sheds on our way. And can I say this morning, we do not walk with the Lord without agreeing to. It's agreement. It's a decision to obey Him. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Before you go to the next, before you go to the chorus. I think what this mother in Israel was saying to me many years ago was, she didn't say all this, but I, I can sense it. She was saying, you know, from her own experience, which I considered her to be a very genuine, absolute genuine. There was no doubt in my mind she was genuine. Even later on when I would doubt the Christian faith and doubt everything that could be doubted, her face would come before me. And I would say, I cannot deny the reality of the Christian faith because she lives it. She's always lived it. Consistently lives it. I cannot deny it. And when I would take courses that would tell me that those people who had uh, said they had experiences, supernatural experiences, where the word of the Lord had come to them or the Lord had spoken to them, and how these courses I took told me that these people are on the edge, teetering on the edge of emotional fragility and psychological breakdown. And I saw all kinds of those examples. I saw 
all kinds of those examples. I could talk to you for hours about them. And so I remember distinctly sitting in these classrooms, listening to these kinds of teachings, that these events did not happen. There's no rational foundation for any of these in reality. And those people who claim that they have these kinds of experiences are psychologically unstable. And her face would come before me. Never met someone more stable in my life, more solid, more rational. Never met anybody any more in tune with the work ethic. No, I never met anyone who was able to get all our work done and spend time with the Lord. So what was the key then? And she said, trust and obey. I said within myself, there must be more to it than that. There must be more, must be more to it. She said, That's, that is it. It's trust the Lord and obey. And what she essentially was saying from her own experience was, I've had many opportunities, this is her now, I've had many opportunities to disobey the Lord, and I've had many opportunities to, you know, I've had a choice set before me. I've always had a choice set before me to walk in the path that the Lord has laid out for me to walk or to walk in another path, to do the things that I maybe prefer to do. Think about it in terms of your own life in the present now, present tense. Are you, you know, we, are we, am I, walking in the light of the truth that I have? Am I being obedient to the light or the truth that I have? When the Lord points out to me, and my conscience in the light of his word points out to me that I am failing in some area, transgressing in some area, do I immediately turn away from that and turn towards the truth? Do I do that? She was saying to me, she had many opportunities to walk her own path, to do things in a different way, but she had determined that she would follow the Lord. From the very first time she went into a gospel meeting when she was younger and saw a vision, she was one of those individuals who had visions and wasn't crazy. And the very first experience she had as an introduction to the gospel was a vision highlighting the altar and telling her, this is the way, walk in it. And she got up and walked in it to the altar. That was the first she, the beginning of walking in it. You see, to know the truth and not do it does not help us. We have to walk in it. And we walk in it by choice. We're not forced. We walk in it by choice. But it's not just a one choice. It's not just a choice once. It's a continual choice made every day, every hour of every day, all the time. And oftentimes we can find ourselves in violation of that way and of the path that we've been called. But we have to admit it. We have to admit it. And it's not easy to admit it. Sometimes we'll try to talk ourselves out of it. Sometimes we'll try to say, well, it's okay. It's, it's this, it's that, it's the other. We'll try to rationalize things that we should not rationalize. He said, this is the way. Walk in it. And that's what she did. And so many years later, this young 13-year-old boy would say to her, ask her, what is the secret? What is the key to the success so she introduced this song. Let's look at the chorus. Trust and obey, 
for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. No other way to be happy. Does that remind you of the joy of the Lord is our strength? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Somebody said, you know, the, I don't know, it's just it's kind of a deadness. I feel kind of a deadness or a lifelessness in my inside. I, I, don't, I, don't have the, I don't have the enthusiasm that I once had. Another way of saying that is I don't have the joy that I once had. So what's wrong? Why is that? It would be because at some point along the way there has been a resistance to walking in the light of the word, fully and completely in the light of the word, the light of the truth. We have to find out where that is and be honest enough. And I mean, the Lord would show us very quickly as we ask him with all honesty. Where have I backed up? Where have I walked away a little bit? Where have I failed to walk in the light that you have given me in some way? Because if, I have, if I'm not experiencing the joy of the Lord, then I have missed something somewhere. It's not, it's, not, it's not anything but that. That's what it is. I'm talking about a period of sustained period of time of lifelessness, just going through the motions, doing all the things that we have always done, but not same kind level of enthusiasm is missing. There's a level of excitement, enthusiasm, joy that's missing. What's wrong? There's something wrong. We'll all go through periods of time of challenge. I'm talking about a prolonged, protracted period of time of joylessness. Let's go to verse 2, Pat. It says, Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies. But his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt, nor a fear, not a sigh, nor a tear can abide. See, see what it's saying? It cannot remain. Those things will come. Those things will come. I'm not suggesting this morning that life is every day, every moment of our life is just all, you know, filled with excitement. There will be challenges that will come. They always do. But the words of the song, which is an expression of the testimony of a triumphant saint, is that they cannot continue. Here's what it says. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sigh nor a tear can abide or can remain while we trust and obey. And the next verse. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. In other words, every time we go through a period of time in our journey where there's a burden that we bear or a sorrow that we share, and you know what that experience is. I do. You do. But what the song is saying is that it, it, he, he richly repays it. In other words, there's a visitation that quickly follows of the presence of the Lord. Uh, an enlargement of his word to us. An encouragement to our soul. He goes on and says, not a grief nor a loss, not a frown nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. These things that were challenges turn into blessings if we trust and obey. The author is basically saying the key is trust and obey. And this Is there another verse? Two more? Let's go. Another one. 
Oh, this is good. This is good. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. And one more verse. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way and I'm going to close with these words. What he says we will do where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. If that dear mother in Israel knew the tremendous influence and impact that her words would have on a 13-year-old boy, I don't know whether she knew or not. I have a sense that she had some idea. It was profound. And that is 60 years ago, 61 years ago. That, that conversation occurred. But it is as fresh to me as the day that it happened. But it is the truth of it that allows it to remain fresh with me. Not just that she said it, but it's the truth of what she said that remains with me. And so the word for us this morning is trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust Him and obey Him. And as we do that, he takes up his occupation within us. And the word, his word is not just a word that comes from the outside, but his own word, his own voice comes from within our own spirit. It's wonderful. Let's sing it together this morning.